Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Our title is Hard Lessons from the Life of Jacob, Part 3. Hard Lessons from the Life of Jacob, Part 3. And actually, the message today comes out of Genesis chapter 32, uh, and it's called, I, I subtitled it, Crippled and Changing. Crippled and Changing. We we find Jacob here, uh, you know, in the middle of an enormous uh conflict with Esau. Now, when Jacob was a young man, he used trickery and deceit to steal the birthright and blessing that rightfully belonged to his older brother Esau. And so as a result, he had to flee from his brother's wrath as he wanted to kill him. And so after 25 years now have passed, and and there's been no contact between Jacob and Esau, talk about a cutoff, Jacob then begins the journey back home. And so he's facing the conflict head on and uh, getting ready to meet Esau. And so he's full of uncertainty as he's about to meet him. And so we're going to pick up this passage in Genesis chapter 32 as Jacob is in the middle of the night going to wrestle with an angel who many believe to be uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus. And this angel is going to, you know, strike his hip out of joint. uh, And he and Esau will get reconciled. But what's so amazing about this passage is how God meets Jacob in a revelation, God in revelation through conflict. It's our con- there's a lesson here because conflicts offer us a revelation, not just a possibility of reconciliation, but they, they we meet God in huge, unique ways that we don't often like it. God comes to us and very painfully through conflicts with people, and we often end up leaving with a limp if we allow God to do that work in us. And so this great text, as you'll hear in just a few moments, we see Jacob allowing God to do a work in him where he is, in a sense, crippled uh, by it. He, but he's changed by it. He's transformed by it. His name is changed by it. And, and so his conflict becomes an opportunity for God to break his pride and teach him dependence. In the same way, God wants to meet you and God meets me in our conflicts, especially our our, our intense ones with people we love and perhaps folks we you've worked with or family, but God uses them if we'll allow them to do that work to, to break something in us, to, to, to dislocate our hip a bit, cause us to become dependent on him more fully, and uh, maybe leave us with a limp, but perhaps more importantly, leave us with a greater revelation of who God is and a much greater sensitivity to seeing and meeting him in ways that perhaps beforehand we weren't that interested in seeing or listening. So God bless you. Take a look at this sermon. Take it away here on Genesis chapter 32, the life of Jacob. Now we've been in a series here and uh, we began by talking about uh, from chapter 25 of of Jacob, uh, about his striving, rushing, manipulating Jacob. And we looked at how he he, he steals his brother's um, birthright. Now remember when Jacob was born, uh, God spoke over his life that he was chosen, he was blessed, that God had a purpose for him in the, in the world, that he was basically not to worry, that he had a mission for him, the same mission of Abraham and Isaac, and, and that he was blessed. And, but we see, as we began the whole series in ch- chapter 25, we see him just fearful that it wasn't going to work out and God wasn't going to you know, do it for him, so he just takes things in his own hands, and he's like us. He strives, he rushes, he manipulates things, he makes it happen. And then we talked about second week, really the same thing. He was striving, rushing, manipulating Jacob again, and we looked at where he dresses up like Esau, and when the father gives a blessing, he gets it, and he cheats his brother out of it, and, and uh, deceptively, and uh, then he ends up having to run for his life because his brother's going to kill him. And last week we got into where he he's running, he's in the middle of nowhere by himself in a, in a nowhere place, and uh, God's just sheer mercy just comes and visits him. God just 
I mean, the guy is a louse. He's a rascal. As someone said to me at the first service last week, he's a bad boy, bad boy, bad boy in that cop show, you know? And, uh, and just God's amazing grace just coming after Jacob. And, and we talked about it just, just for us. And as we learn from him, just to stop and look and listen. And uh, so at this point, we're going to pick it up and, uh, in our fourth part. And, and uh, as we look into, you know, this limping and clinging Jacob in chapter 32. And that's where we're going to go because he, he learns the hard way uh, out of his, the way he's run his life that uh, the way of the unfaithful is hard or the way of transgressors is hard. That's Proverbs chapter 13, 15. He, he, he basically going to bear the consequences of running his own life and doing his own thing and being stubborn as a mule and lying and cheating. Remember that you seek the truth or the truth will seek you. Well, the truth just keeps coming back and biting him. And so now he's got to run from Esau and for the next 20 years, he ends up leaving home, living in basically 500 miles away at his uncle's house. His uncle's house name is Laban. And um, he is tri- now he, he was a trickster and a liar and a manipulator, but now he lives with his uncle for 20 years, who's even more of a liar, uh, more of a manipulator, more of a controller. And so he ends up being tricked regarding his marriage, ends up in two marriages and having two concubines, uh, you know, four women living in the house, has 13 children. He gets cheated with his wages over 20 times. He ends up working almost like a slave. And uh, after 20 years of basically a really hard life, he has to run for his life and because uh, Laban, too, wants to kill him. And God protects him, and so he ends up going back home. And so that's where I say we're going to pick it up uh, today in chapter 32. But he's had 20 years of, of hardship. You know, Andrew Murray wrote a very famous book, some of you may know of it, many years ago, called, called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And, uh, and, and the point of his whole book is that prayer is the school by which we grow into maturity. It's, it's, so it's, it's prayer that grows us up. Well, Jacob isn't really into prayer. He's into doing it. And uh, so he, he learns the hard way. He, he learns by hard knocks. I mean, you know what that's like? That's the only way he seems to learn. And it took him 20 years to graduate from this school of hard knocks. And uh, so now he's returning home. He's between a rock and a hard place. He, uh, he can't go back to Uncle Laban. And he's got to go forward, and he's got Esau waiting for him. And Esau has been waiting 20 years for him, his older brother. And before he left, Esau had vowed that he would kill Jacob the next time he saw him and uh, because he'd been cheated and robbed by his younger brother. And so basically, Jacob is going back home, and he has a death threat on his life. And uh, when Esau hears that Jacob is on his way, he figures, hey, this guy's coming to steal my land now. And so he gets his army together of 400 men. And imagine these 400 men on horseback are racing towards Jacob. And Jacob knows they're coming. And so we pick it up in chapter 32. In verse 6 and 7, uh, 400 men are coming towards him. And it says that Jacob, in verse 7, is in great fear and distress. He basically, in, in, in he, he, is, he is not simply afraid. He is absolutely terrified because he has been able to manipulate himself out of every situation, but right now, there is nowhere to go. And it looks like he is done. He's terrified, so he makes a plan. Again, he's always making plans to figure out how to get out of messes. And so he makes a plan to basically divide his family up, and he's got a lot of wealth at this point, and divide them in groups of two, so if one gets killed, somebody else can escape. And, and then he, he makes his plan, and then he prays to God, like us, right? Make a plan, pray. And even while he's praying, he's still very much thinking about his plan. And it's a really good prayer if you read it in the chapter. But he finishes up praying, and he goes right back to his plan. I mean, he doesn't pray and say, God, what should I do? God, show me the way. He basically prays, and then he continues with the plan that he made. 
and uh, it's classic Jacob. And, and so he begins to send gifts in advance to these 400 men in Esau coming on horseback, charging to kill him, and, or he thinks to kill him. So he sends 550 animals in, in pieces. And you can read the chapter later, you know, a little bit by bit, all these animals, all these wealthy camels and sheep and oxen, and, and with, he calls himself my bow, you know, bow before Esau and his servants. And, and basically he's returning all that he's cheated Esau out of, uh, the, uh, those blessings, and he gives it all back. And he's, he's trying to pacify Esau so he won't kill him. And uh, so we're going to pick it up here in verse 22. Uh, as he's alone now, he sends everybody ahead of him. And, uh, uh, and next week, just, you know, we'll deal with the issue of forgiveness and reconciliation of, of, of relationships because he's got an incredible friction here. Um, but first, God's, gonna, God's got something for him, and that's where today is. So verse 22, we're going to pick it up. Where That night, Jacob gets up. And he takes his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, and he crosses the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was all alone, so left alone. So here he is. It's night. He's alone. He's now, all his possessions are gone. All his family has gone across his little, you know, ford, his little river stream. And he's alone. He's, again, he's terrified. And uh, it's a good place for God to get him, isn't it? You know, scheming, lying, manipulating. There, he can't get out of this one. Uh, he is at the end of his rope. And so, as we're going to read, before I read the rest of the passage, uh, um, suddenly he, he's going to get grabbed. Uh, you'll see in just a moment. And uh, it, you, may, you may think, oh, it's a bandit. I'm sure he thought, or it's an assassin from Esau. You know, one of these SWAT guys. You know, that are going to come and kill him. Uh, and he's in hand-to-hand combat, which says, with a man. Uh, but he realizes gradually that it's God. And in the Old Testament, when the angel of the Lord is often will appear before a human being like Joshua, and it refers to God being present, when an angel of the Lord comes before somebody in the Old Testament, and God present in a physical, tangible, touchable way, uh, this is probably, he is probably wrestling with Jesus Christ. Okay, God incarnate right here at this. This is quite a moment in his life. This is actually an incredible passage. It's unbelievable. So, all right, let's pick it up here in verse 23. I'm going to read to 32. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. 
all right? So two incredible things happen to Jacob here, and uh, unbelievable things. One is he gets a new name. He gets, he gets a new name. Now, his, his name is Jacob, and you'll notice I put it up there to review. His name means literally cheat. And, and again, in, in, in Scripture, when your identity and character is wrapped up in your name, and it says identity. But he gets a new identity and a new vocation. And his name means crooked or grabber. I like the word grabber. He always has to have a plan. He's always got to finagle his way through the back door. And he's aggressive. He's a, he's a liar. He, he's restless. He's a guy who makes things happen. And, and, and it's interesting because scholars note this, that he, ne- he himself never uses his name in his entire life, as far as we know, up to this point. Because who wants to be known as, what's your name? Liar you know, manipulator, you know, restless, deceiver, you know, grabber. And, uh, uh, in, you know, he's incomplete. He's inauthentic. He's a pretender. Uh, and he doesn't know who he is. He, he's living his whole life in a false identity. Um, he spent his whole life spinning, spinning lies. And here's God. He wants to bless him. But God says, first, you got to admit who you are. What's your name? And God makes him say the name. My name is Jacob, you know, liar, you know, grabber. And then he gets blessed. And uh, so he, at this moment where, where, where he says, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. It's very significant because it's a confession. He, he, he takes off, he, you know, this, this pretend, and um, uh, he takes off his mask, and he becomes finally real. And God gives him a new name. Your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel. And, uh, you know, again, a new name means new character, new life. And, uh, you know, the name Israel, which is, you know, is, is a, lot of, a lot of studies have been done on what does Israel mean? You know, God fights, God rules, God protects, he who struggles with God. We're not fully sure. It means many things. Uh, but the key thing here is that something new has been birthed. Something new has invaded Jacob's life, and, and, uh, and he's a changed man. He's he surrendered. He, he's free. And, uh, you see, you may your whole life have lived and really not know who you are. What's your, what's your real name? What's your God-given true name? Now, Jacob comes into it here. Now, you may pretend that your name over your life is mean. Or maybe the name over your life is you're angry. Or maybe the name over your life, the way you live, is you're a victim. Or maybe the name over your life is you're afraid. Or maybe the name over your life is you're fearful. Or maybe the name over your life is I've been hurt. And that's your life. And you may pretend that. But you know what? God may may have a new name for you. And uh, you're, you will be called in heaven when you see God face to face by your true name, by your God-given identity, who you really are, not some pretend false self. And, and Jesus is the Savior who comes to call you by your true name. That's the beauty of this. It's a miracle what happens here. He is transformed. You know the miracle for all of us in this room? There's so much pressure on us to live somebody else's life, to li- live and be somebody we're not and live and pretend. And God comes here and, and, and to Jacob and just transforms him. It's a tremendous gift. God gives them a new name. Do you realize what that means? All of us get our name and be free and be the men and women God's called us to be. And maybe your name's not fearful, defensive, victim, hurt. Maybe your new name might be grateful or joyful or cherished or merciful or content. Who knows what the new name is that God has for your life? But that's what we want this morning. We want God's name over us, each personally and as a people, as we live out in the city of New York. Great. I, I just had that, you know, I just pondered this. this is so profound for all of us. And then secondly, he gets blessed. He gets this new name, and then God just, 
bless them. Now, what does blessing mean? Oh, it means everything. Blessed. I don't know all that blessing means, but, but I'll tell you one thing. God bless us. I mean, God's blessing. All that entails with the kingdom of God and power and deliverance and salvation and freedom. I mean, blessing. And he gets blessed by God at this moment in verse you know, 29. Oh, what a, what a moment. You know, God's got a future for you and God's got a plan for you. And just like he does for Jacob and, and me. But again, the sheer mercy of God, like last week, it's just, it's incredible how God visits this man's life. It's unbelievable. It's like God visiting you and me. It's just God transforming him and the fact to look at us, here with us, and God getting a hold of us and radically transforming us and giving us new names and blessing us that we might be a blessing. But God comes to him in the middle of a disaster. He's relationally, his family's a mess. Uh, it's a disaster, actually. He's, he has failed miserably. He's full of shame. He's in an identity crisis. He's in a dark place. I mean, that's when God comes. Isn't that amazing? Some of you may be there today. You know, God's coming to you. Give you a news, your best moment of your life. You think it's the worst. It's the best. So here is Jacob at the, at the low point, end of his rope, God comes, gives him a new name and blesses him. So the question is, because we want to learn from Jacob, how do we have, maybe not the exact same experience of Jacob, but an experience with God where we too, in a sense, receive our new name. And we too receive a blessing that we can bless other people. How, how do we enter this kind of a freedom that he enters into here? So I, I've got really two, two little phrases that I, I believe we've got to be able to say, and they're difficult to say, uh, but it's where God brings Jacob here. The first is I limp, and the second is I cling. All right, so I'm going to just use those two phrases because those are the ones to say I, I limp, and I cling. All right, so I want to just take it apart. I'm going to spend most of my time on limping because he ends up with a limp the rest of his life here. And it's a very profound limp because uh, he, he's a hustler. He is not the kind of guy to limp and show it. So here, let's begin here. The pathway to transformation or the pathway to greatness. Because you realize all the people of God flow out of Jacob. All of Israel, the salvation of the nations, come out of this grabber, manipulator, conniver. And he becomes so great. And uh, so what is our pathway to greatness and transformation? So the first is I, I, that we can say to God, to ourselves, to those around us, without embarrassment and shame, I limp. Uh, I limp. You know, Jacob is a very self-sufficient person. He doesn't trust anybody. Some of you, you're good New Yorkers. You don't trust anybody either. You barely trust your own family. And you're stubborn, self-willed, just like Jacob. He is stubborn. I mean, you know how old he is now? You ready for this? I, 97. He has been manipulating, lying, spinning, pretending, stubborn for 97 years. And he still isn't broken. He's still fighting. And his basic attitude is, I can handle whatever comes my way. I'll take care of it. I got it. And uh, he's in control. And he's successful, apparently. He pays a price for being successful, but he's spinning his, his plates, and he's living a lot of pretenders. So in verse 25, here's Jacob again. He's being wrestled by, he doesn't know initially that it's God, but some man, someone powerful has got him. And, uh, but even here, Jacob is not going to yield. I mean, he's, he's in this wrestling match, and even when he's not going to realize there's something divine going on here, angel, something, he is not, he's, he's not going to be broken. He is not letting go. And uh, it's interesting because it says it in the NIV, most of us have the NIV version, verse 25, finally Jesus or, or this, God touches him. 
it says. But really, the word in Hebrew is God strikes him at the hip and dislocates his hip. Just so you know, there's some scholars that say that, that he dislocates his private parts, all right? So the translation's interesting, and you play with that. And, but, um, but most believe it's hip, all right? Let's stick with dislocation of hip. It preaches better, and it's cleaner. And, um, but if you've ever dislocated a finger or a toe, uh, you know, even a little toe, it's excruciating. Okay, here's a dislocation of a hip. And, uh, you know, no medication, no, no, no uh, anesthetic on this, no, no anesthesia or, you know, no painkiller. And from this point on, he will have a permanent limp. He will leave there. He will forever bear the marks of this dislocation of his hip. And uh, he's transformed, he's blessed. And, and you know, I, I wrote a little definition there of limp, and you probably can improve it. A limp is whatever renders you dependent on God, whatever renders you powerless, Whatever brings you to the end of your rope is your limp, okay, your dislocation of your hip. But this is his. And uh, this, it, it, God brings us all to a limp. We don't all receive it. Jacob was fighting, being, being, saying, I limp, and being that vulnerable and weak. He was not going down that path. I mean, it's funny thing about it. He's a religious guy. I mean, he's got the religion thing down. He's at worship. He's got his altars. You know, he's... He's, he's, you know, father's Isaac and Abraham, his grandfather, but uh, he's not limping through life. He's making it happen through life. And uh, limping or being broken cuts across race, culture, social class. Every country of the world resists. Every person in the world and every culture and social class and educational background resists limping or saying, I limp. I know I don't want to go there. In fact, I may limp for a while, but I want to end it and get up and say, okay, I'm running now. I got control. I know what's going on. But just think with me for a minute. Think of, you know, some of you have limps from your family of origin growing up or lack of family growing up, and you've got scars that are profound from your past, and you walk with a limp. Some of you know addiction well. And you've been an addict, whether it's with alcohol or drugs or pornography. And you can be at a party and someone's just having a nice little glass of wine. But you, are, you have such a limp that you can't even go near that table. You can't even smell it because you will be on a road that before you know it, you'll be back in the gutter and your life will be destroyed. That's how serious your limp is. Some of you actually have physical limps. I mean, whether it's, you know, from cancer or from... You know, after, after chemo or a speech defect or cerebral palsy or dyslexia or something health-wise, it's just a limp, and you carry it. Now, you may kind of cover it, but you've got it. You know, some of us, we, we, have, a, we have bad memories, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and not from Iraq, just from memories of trauma that are like we sometimes walk around and we say people have no idea. And every now and then, something triggers it, like post-traumatic stress, and you find yourself overreacting to something so minimal, and you are ready to take somebody's head off because you've got a limp. Or some of you carry abuse scars. Again, whether it's sexual or emotional or physical abuse, or some of you carry spiritual abuse scars from spiritually being beat up. And you know what? You've got a limp that you'll carry the rest of your life. Now, it doesn't have to cripple you by any means. This is actually the pathway to life. But you have got a limp 
from some trauma that is in you, or you've been betrayed and you know betrayal well, whether betrayal from a spouse, from a parent, again, from a church, from a boss, but you've experienced, you've been burned and you've got a limp and you say, man, I don't know if anyone on earth has gone through this. And you carry it 10, 20, 30, sometimes 50 years later. It's like it happened yesterday and you've got yourself a limp. Some of you know what it's like that you have certain tendencies in you that it's like almost like certain character issues. You are just like, as much as you pray, you got you get this judgmentalism thing in you, love, 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 and you know someone just does something that you think's off kilter, and zoom. You know your limp is your judgmentalism or your criticalness, or your you know your your bitterness or your stubbornness. It's like a it's like a limp you carry, and it's a level that's beyond others. And you say, you know what it is about me? I just I I I I just I, I get so crazy. You know, some of you have made some bad choices in your life. And uh, while you were young, or maybe while you were middle-aged, and these failures or bad choices are like limps for you. Because it's like you carry the consequences or implications of them now as an older person with you as a limp. You know, maybe you have a special needs child, and if you do, you know that is a limp you carry that few understand. You know, or if your marriage is painful, or your singleness is painful, like a splinter, it, it's like a, you carry a limp. It just weakens you. And I can go on. I mean, a divorce. Some of you have multiple divorces. The sense of failure. And it's like, if, you know, it's like you have a scarlet letter on you. You know, D, you know, failure. And we can go on. You know, I think some of us who have biochemical, some you have biochemical you know, imbalances towards, you know, prone to depression. And it's just a biochemical limp, you know, or anxiety. And maybe you're on medication. Maybe you need to be on medication. But it's, a, it's, just, it's like, it's like a, uh, you recognize, wow, what a limp. Other people don't carry what I'm carrying here. And so you get close to any human being. I don't care their age. I don't care their color. I don't care their educational background, what country they're from. You get near anybody closely, and you will see they have a limp. Everybody has a limp. Everybody. Work with me. You'll find out I've got more than a few. <laughs> but don't we want to project that there's somebody out there who doesn't have limps? Right? You want to, oh, I know that person. That, that's, they're great. They're not like me or the rest of us. They're a cut up. No, they're cut above. No, they, they too have a limp. But, but the truth is, most of us, here, our attitude towards limps is, limp? What limp? I got a limp. I feel great. You know, and we're, we're just like, you know, we throw away the crutch. I mean, we're just moving along. We don't, I don't need a cane. I'm fine. And we deny that we've even got a limp, or we overcompensate. Maybe we got a limp in this area, but we're great at this. And so we overcompensate so, to make this like it doesn't even exist. And so we never say, I limp. We don't live like that. We just live out of our strength and what we're great at, and we move through life, and we don't even go near places or situations or people that might expose the limp. And so like Jacob, we live pretend. Because I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I limp. I don't, I don't want to go there. Or, you know, some of us, we're just bitter and angry about the limp. We just feel like we got a bad deal because we got a limp. Things happen to us. And here it is, I'm limping through life. And other people, they aren't limping through life, which is not true. But we're angry, maybe at God, or maybe you're angry at people. And you resent people who have ruined your life. How dare they inflict this limp on me? And uh, so you displace your rage on some people. And, or maybe you just hate yourself. You withdraw in your limp 
and you've got all this pity or maybe self-hate, and I don't know. But all I know is this, in Western culture, which is where we live, uh, which is now worldwide culture, we, we, we spin about our limps, and we're about better and success, and things are tremendous, and we see limps and failure as shame and as terminal, and we want to avoid that at all costs because that is the road to loserness, and I'm not a loser. Listen, there was a New York Times article last week, and I, and I cut it out, or two weeks ago, and it was an incredible article because it was talking about there's a, there's a great movement now on the web where thousands of people are, are surfing the web to find genetic material for their children, sperm banks, etc., because they, they don't want their children to have limps. And so you can go to, you know, you, whether you want, you know, beautiful looks, you pay money for this and get those kind of sperm or eggs. And uh, if you want brain power, it says, you know, which is, we, we have such a god of intellect. There's, there's a sperm bank has one branch between Harvard and MIT and one next to Stanford. An ad for the, at the Harvard newspaper offered $50,000 for an egg from a Harvard woman. And uh, 35000 for a Chicago egg. And you must be very healthy, very intelligent, and very attractive, and most of all, very happy. And uh, a Harris poll suggested that more than 40% of Americans would use genetic engineering to upgrade their children, <laughs> mentally and physically. And if you get social acceptance at that level, then everybody has to do it, and other, other kids will be left behind. Oh, you can't be under five foot nine. And he says, poor, poor Napoleon would never have made it, you know? You can't even donate sperm if you're under five. I mean, but I mean, but um, I, I just pointed out because it's like, this is where our culture is. Our culture is not, we don't want our kids to have a limp. As parents, we'll kill they don't have a limp. But here is, this is the pathway to greatness. As we say like Jacob, I have a limp. I have a limp. I mean, friends, that is countercultural. I have a limp. It took Jacob 97 years. God wrestling him to the ground to say, I have a limp. My question for you is, what's it going to take to get you on the ground to say, I have a limp? Or will you, with the rest of the culture, spin and say, I'm fine, everything's great, praise God. You know, I think, I think of Paul. Three times, Paul said, a thorn in the flesh. Remember, he says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. He knew it was, it was even evil to keep me from becoming conceited and proud. And, um, and, and, and Paul said, Whatever, we don't know what this thorn was that, was that gave Paul, the apostle, a limp. We don't know if it was some kind of spiritual temptation. Or was it, was it, he seemed to have some, you know, the agony of people misunderstanding him. He was always being misunderstood. We know he had some kind of physical ailment. Here's this guy doing miracles and healing people, but he couldn't heal himself. Was that, we don't know exactly what his, what his humiliation was, what his limp was. But we know this, it was very painful, and actually had its roots demonically, but God was allowing it. It kept them from being proud, and it, he knew this was, his, this was the way to becoming a powerful instrument of God. This was key for him. And Paul said, all these super apostles that were floating around in the first century, goes, they don't have limps. He goes, they, they, don't, they don't live like that. And these were the ones that were, they were really going after Paul. And uh, could you, what's really interesting, you know, Paul's able to say, you know, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my limps, my weaknesses, because I boast in them. I limp. So that why? So Christ's power may rest on me. Not my own power, Christ's power. So actually, Shekinah glory is the word. So his glory and power can rest on me, for when I'm weak, when I'm limping, I'm strong. It took Jacob a long time to get that. You see, 
Can you imagine Paul, the apostle, if he didn't have a limp? You know, that guy was high-powered. He would have killed some people. I mean, he was the kind of guy to have an inquisition. I mean, I don't know what he would have been like. But thank God he had people that rejected him. He had churches that failed, and he found himself in prison quite a bit, you know. But uh, it's scary to think of Paul without a thorn in the flesh. What kind of person would he have been? I don't think he would have written half the New Testament. But the paradox is that success may be the worst thing for you, and it may destroy you. And that failure may be your best gift. As God's trying to get you to play, say, I have a limp. Just humble, you have nothing to prove anymore. He's your righteousness. And you don't understand, God says, your setbacks, your, your hardships, your limps, these are me, God's saying. My goal is to transform you like I'm transforming Jacob here, to be someone who's open, who's approachable, who's loving, who's soft, who's tender, who's compassionate, who loves people and loves me. And the path to get there is limps, the very thing you're running from. So have you ever had your life, in a sense, put out of joint by God? He just dislocates your whole life. And your plans are dislocated. And you realize, wow, everything has come crashing down. It's like God has come out of nowhere to destroy me. You ever feel like that? And the answer is, maybe. Because God's trying to bring you, like Jake, to the place where you say, I have a limp. Do you know every church has a limp? I was thinking about that. Because I've been trying to get rid of our limps for years. <laughs> Spin it, cover over it. Every church has a limp. Think of whatever church you think is the greatest church, you know? Every church has a limp. Every, we are a community of limpers. We're limpers. And uh, Jacob is crippled. He's crippled. And he hangs on to God, broken, exhausted. He finally has nowhere else to go. His hands are empty. And he clings to God. He's limping, but he is just hanging on. It's great, isn't it? He just hangs on. Which brings me really to my, my second thing. So, so the pathway is I limp, but the second thing is he just clings. I don't know if you, if you know the word cling. It's a, it's, I don't know if it's slang in an English language, but he's, just, he, he's, he's hanging on. He's, he's, he's just he's, he's clinging. Now, this, what's so awesome, and I hope you go back and, and spend some time in this passage, is his clinging, his, his persistence is, is, is really, it's extraordinary. Have any of you ever done wrestling? Wrestle like in high school or grammar school, okay? I just wrestled a little bit. You know, I got out of that sport because it was exhausting. I did it like in sixth grade. But basically, wrestling match, it's three uh, periods of two minutes each. That's it. Because wrestling is just, it is, it is exhausting to wrestle. And, uh, you know, I did it. And so here's Jacob. This is what's extraordinary. He is wrestling with God, Jesus himself. He's wrestling the entire night. I mean, you watch the Olympic wrestling, it's two minutes, maybe, I don't know, maybe three minutes. This guy wrestles for hours and hours till daybreak. He is, not, he is clinging and not letting go. This is what makes our father Jacob extraordinary. He is crazy clinging. And uh, it's interesting because the word wrestle or struggle is the word for his name, you know, Jacob. He's always been struggling. And uh, in verse 26, you'll see the great verse where he says, uh, I will not, even Jesus says, the man says to him in verse 26, let me go for it's daybreak. Because see, the Bible says no one can see God's face and live. Exodus 33. Daybreak is coming. If he sees God's face, he'll die. And you know what Jacob says? I don't care. I ain't letting go until I get blessed. He doesn't care. He is clinging for that blessing, whatever. I mean, he may not fully understand it at this point. And, uh, but he's hanging on. And so, uh, you know, talk about passion. 
I like what J.I. Packer says, you know, he's, he's, he's prevailing, he's just, he's, his prevailing or, or, or overcoming is he's hanging on until God transforms him. Now, there's something, you ever heard of the seven deadly sins? It comes from the Desert Fathers. There were seven deadly sins they used to always talk about that these deadly sins could destroy your Christian life. Things like pride and gluttony. But one of the deadly sins they used to talk about in the second, third, and fourth centuries a lot, and they still talk about today, was called asedia. And I wrote down there, I don't know, asedia, I'm not, you know, Greek, or, or really translation is spiritual boredom. You're just bored. And... Uh, Asedia goes like this. It's one of the seven deadly sins. It's basically apathy. Like, you know, oh, God, that's good. You know, you you don't get engaged. You're just kind of like, you know, you're bored by, oh, Christianity, Jesus, cross, Bible, worship, you know, fellowship, same old, same old, you know, small group. And and, and basically the point is that it's one of the deadly sins because apathy is, is so damnable. It's when I have no motivation. I'm just like, I don't want to put any more energy into this spiritual journey. You know what, God, I showed up at church. You owe me, you know? And that's Esau is, is this asedia. Esau could care less. He sells his birthright for a bowl of soup, just irrelevant to him. But Jacob is different. Jacob is a clinger. Jacob is passionate. Jacob is, it's, this is what makes, I was trying to find what makes Jacob great. This is it. He's a clinger. You know, think of a little kid clinging to you. That's a good thing, right? Four-year-olds clinging to mom, you know. But if, you know, and, and we, as we grow older, as adults, we want to, you know, we don't cling, we become independent. Now, the opposite in the, in the Christian life, in spirituality, uh, the opposite is that, you know, as we grow in Christ, we become more clingy. Prayer becomes our lifeline. We can't live without God. So the older you get, you're more clingy you get. And the more you realize how desperate I am for God. So, you know, how do I do it? How do I cling? You know what? Whatever works for you is what you got to do to cling. And I, I, you know, whatever season of life you're in, God's built this differently. What do you need to structure around your life to be able to cling to God? And it's going to be different for all of us at different seasons. But I know for me, I need rhythm. I need silence. I need stillness. I need scripture. I need Sabbaths. I need worship. I know, I, I know there's certain lines I cross. I lose clinging. I just get in my old mode. I'm running my life. I'm not clinging to God. I'm just independent. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I'm back to my old Jacob ways. And, uh, and also suffering. I, I think one of the issues of clinging is when everything's going wrong in your life, everything's bad, your temptation is to say, I don't want to cling anymore. I'm done. I want to just read you a letter here as we, as we close here. It's, it's interesting. There's a letter, this is a letter from um, a, a Jewish man. They found this. When the Nazis were, were coming into the Warsaw ghetto to, to take all the Jews to a death camp, concentration camp in, in the 40s, I'm sorry, 1940s, and they found this little note uh, on a piece of paper there at the end of World War II among the runes in Warsaw, Poland. Here's what he wrote. He says, I believe in you, O God of Israel, even if you've tried your best to keep me from believing in you. I would like to say to you at this moment, more, ever, more than ever in, my, in our previous struggle for survival, we who are tortured, humiliated, buried alive, burnt alive, insulted and mocked, that we have a right to know until when are you going to allow this to continue? I die in peace, but not appeased. I am embittered, but I'm not cynical. I'm a believer, but not pleading. A man who loves God, but does not say amen to everything. All this will do you no good. You have done everything to destroy my faith. Yet I am dying precisely as I have lived, saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, one Lord, 
Into your hands, O God, I commit my spirit. That's clinging when everything's falling apart around you. And that's where Jacob is. At this point, Jacob is clinging. I limp and I cling. That's my life. And, uh, you know, his situation, you know, Jacob, we'll pick it up next week. Jacob goes and meets Esau now, and Esau, you know, he's still got to deal with his circumstances. His circumstances do not change. But Jacob changes. And uh, he will approach Esau very differently after this chapter with humility and, and courage. Your circumstances may not change, but God wants to change you. And uh, out of weakness and limps and clinginess, Jacob emerges to bless the world. That's what's so amazing. The God of Jacob. Every time you read now, the God of Jacob. This is the God of Jacob. Who come, we're all Jacob. And he takes people like you and me who are strivers and manipulators and rushers, and he takes your raw material and he makes you something great. That's the miracle of God. He takes Timothy, who's afraid, and Jeremiah, who's depressive, and, Je- and Elijah, and Moses, who stutters, and God does something great with their lives because they're the raw material out of what God uses, and God takes Jacob. So I want to invite the worship team forward, and I want us to close, and I want to ask you a question. Can you have Jacob's exact experience? And the answer is no. But you can have your own experience with God, a direct experience with the living God, to commune with God directly. And... Um, You don't have to live your Christian life or your spirituality through somebody else's experience. And uh, Paul spoke of Christ in me, and I'm in Christ. And I want to invite you today for direct contact with the living God. Jacob has direct contact with God right now in in that dark place as he's wrestled to the ground and says, I limp, I cling. True Christianity is finding God, or God finding us, and it's also finding ourselves. And Jacob finds out who he really is. Your name will be Israel from now on. And so you may be here today, and you know what? You're living out of a false self, like Jacob. And God wants to give you a new name. God wants to give you blessing. God wants to give you a direct experience of himself. So you will be a gift to everybody around you with your life, and those will follow you. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Just bow for a moment. Amazing grace. Let's begin by just saying to God Almighty, I limp, Lord. The gospel is that Jesus wrestled with God on our behalf in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was not simply, he was broken, he was crucified so that we might receive the blessing and a new name, and new forgiveness, new life. The gospel is, is grace and love. So it's safe in the love of Jesus who died for you to come out of hiding and pretend and spin. And say, I limp.
You can say like Paul, I boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. When I'm limping or when I'm weak, I'm strong. This is the pathway to greatness. Allow the love of God in Jesus Christ to envelop you and surround you. Swim in the love of God. Let God forgive you and cleanse you of your sins and my sins. Cling, grab on to Jesus. All you've got. God help me. I won't let you go. I need you. I'm not desperate, Lord. And you're invited to come and again cling to Jesus through the Lord's table and eating and drinking of Christ, taking the bread and dipping it in the cup. And uh, again, you want to ask forgiveness before you come and just cleanse yourself. Come and just receive of Jesus. I'm just, I'm that dependent on you. I must eat of you. And I want to do some prayer teams to your left. And I want to invite you to come as we close. Let's keep it quiet in here. And so some of you, you're, you say, I limp. And maybe you've been denying your limp or rebelling against your limp or fighting it or overcompensating for it. But I want you to receive from God today your limp as a gift that Christ's power might rest upon you, that you really do live in grace. You really do live in the love of God for you. It's not your own performance. It's not what people think. It's not what you achieve. It's, it's just you live in the love of God, period. We loved you in Christ, that's it. And just receive your limp as Jacob finally received his at age 97. It's never too late, all right? And I want to invite you to, some of you just need to cling. You're coming forward as an expression of, I got to cling to God because I've not been clinging. And uh, God's coming to you, and maybe you're in the middle of a disaster or just a tough situation uh, where you can't see straight either, just like Jacob was. But that's what got him to start clinging. And maybe you start clinging for the first time and receive Christ and become a Christian here today and cling. And God's brought you to this place to actually come to Christ. Or maybe you are a believer and you've been running your own show here, and you've got to come and cling and repent and turn around and ask God for forgiveness. All right, so let's pray and the altar will be open here and we'll stay as long as we need to do to pray for people. And so, Lord, may you set your people free here in this room. That, Lord, whatever names that we're carrying that are over us, whether it's anger or bitterness or defeat or fear, God, remove those names that belong to the powers of hell. And grant to us each, Lord, our true heavenly name. The name that you've created us with, our true name. Set your people free. May we exalt in you and you alone and our limps and our need for you, our desperateness. And Lord, through that, may your power flow. So I bless all of you in this room. May you receive the blessing of God. 
the blessing over Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. May it be in and through you for the rest of your days, no matter where you go or whom you meet. So be blessed, I pray, as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. God's blessing. So thank you for listening to this message on changing, uh, crippled and changing on Genesis 32, the life of Jacob. Let me invite you to download a free ebook called uh, Why Leadership Matters. You can be found at emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership matters. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership matters. It's a free resource that I wrote to give a great contrast of leadership and a standard way it's done in most of our churches today. And uh Jacob represents that, and then an emotionally healthy way. And actually, what it is, it's 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 eight charts that are taken uh, that I use to frame and write the emotionally healthy leader book uh, a few years back. And I put it in a in a short, small ebook that you could easily look at the contrast of uh, I'll call it a Jacob striving, manipulating, fearful way of leading versus an emotionally healthy way that's anchored in Jesus. So whether we're doing planning and decision making, or team building and building culture, or um, endings and new beginnings. Uh, there's a standard way we tend to approach those things, and then there's an emotionally healthy way. So it's a nice little ebook. I'd leave it to you. Uh, I invite you to check it out. And uh, God bless you, everybody. Great to be with you. You have a wonderful day. Talk to you soon.